High school and college baseball seasons are ending. Summer season's about to begin. What should pitchers be doing in between, if anything? Coaches, you'll want to keep an eye on your pitcher's necks. Why? Because improper neck tilt can rob velocity and cause arm injury. We'll go into the details on how to troubleshoot and fix that. Speaking of pitching injuries, they seem to be trending beyond elbows and shoulders, moving toward blood clots and thoracic issues. Why? We'll attack these issues and more in Season 4, Episode 5 of The Fix. Season 4, Episode 5 of The Fix with Pitching Motion Troubleshooter Angel Borelli. I just wanted to get a few things out there. For those of you who have not yet subscribed to Baseball Pitching The Fix on your iPhone or Android device, please go subscribe to the podcast. If you have no idea what a podcast is or don't know how to download a podcast, you can now get us via an app. We have an app on the iPhone and we have an app for the Android. So all you have to do is go to your your app settings and look for Baseball Pitching the Fix. You will see the little baseball and just download the app. So, Angel, that's pretty cool, right? We got an app. It's very cool. I'm excited. Make it easier to access. That's great. Yeah, we're trying to get the message out as easily as possible and get it to everyone in every possible way. Because, I, you know, a lot of people have no idea what a podcast is or how to get one. And I understand mm-hmm. that. So we're tr- just trying to make it easier. So if, it, if it's easier for you, please go to your app on your phone and just look for Baseball Pitching the Fix, download it, install it, and you're good. Nice. Yeah. So with that, that, that out of the way, let me get on to the trending topics in Major League Baseball. We have, as usual, more and more injuries for baseball pitchers. I'm just going to go really quickly through uh, some Uh-oh. of the more, more recent and prominent ones that I've seen. Uh, we talked about Shelby Miller in the last few episodes he actually has undergone Tommy John surgery, so he's now on the way back. Hopefully, he'll be back in about a year and a half or so. Aroldis Chapman has a rotator cuff inflammation. He'll be out for about two weeks. Uh, by the time you hear this, he might be back. Oh, and by the way, we are recording this show at the end of May, right before Memorial Day weekend. So by the time you hear this, you've probably enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend. Hope you did. Just a few other pictures I want to talk about. Wei-Yin Chin, who is a pitcher that we talked about in our last episode, he had some elbow issues, really chronic elbow issues. He's still on the disabled list, and now he's been getting PRP treatments, which we've talked about a few times this year and, and last year. And generally, PRPs don't seem to work out too well for most pitchers, right? Yeah, well, I, I think they haven't been doing it long enough to really have any longitudinal evidence, but... Um... When it works, it works great. When it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I think it depends on the injury, and there's usual certain characteristics that that make it feel like the uh, pitcher's a candidate. But uh, yeah, I would say generally speaking, they usually end up getting surgery. I think. Yeah, it kind of looks like that's the road he's going down. Some other interesting thing developments over the last week or so. Phil Hughes has shoulder stiffness and shoulder discomfort. He can't seem to shake that. He's had it for a while. We're not sure what's going to happen with that. Another guy with stiffness but in his forearm is Nate Carnes of the Royals. Usually that leads to some kind of an elbow problem, as we've talked about. And 
More interesting for me, and maybe for you too, Jayuri's Familia just had surgery for an arterial clot in his shoulder. The Mets closer was having some issues early on in the season. He started feeling some tingling in his right ring finger. They let him rest for a couple days and he was throwing. He wasn't feeling good again. It was going back and forth. And finally, he was diagnosed with an arterial clot in his shoulder, which is kind of an unusual injury, but uh, maybe it's just because I follow the Mets. It's not unusual for the Mets. They've had a few of these pitchers had this kind of an issue about four or five years ago. Dylan G had a similar, if not the exact same diagnosis. He had an arterial clot in his shoulder. Fast forward to late last year while he was a member of another team, he wound up having similar issues and and had thoracic outlet syndrome and he had surgery for that. You know, it's a really unusual injury. And and I, I was curious to know if, is it the type of thing that just happens randomly? Is it like a genetic thing? Like when you have a clot in your shoulder, is that, or is it something that could actually occur because of the pitching motion? Well, um, yes, it can. It can occur because of the pitching motion. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're talking about pitchers who have clots and the clots are in the shoulder and also the thoracic outlet syndrome, which is, you know, kind of like it is a blood flow situation. And it's also coming down in the shoulder area. I th- but yes, clots, you know, the nature of your blood vessels can have such a structure that you have a tendency towards that. It's why there are certain characteristics and they warn you you could have a stroke, etc. because a clot is what would lead to a stroke. But I think in this situation, when you have it in the shoulder, and in the, in the medical world is saying this, that when you have stress in a part of the body and uh, you have what might be overuse of that part of the body, you're not just uh, stressing the structures, meaning the muscle, which we always talk about, and the ligaments below it, which we always talk about, and the bones. You're also stressing the blood vessels because as the other pieces don't hold their position, they're moving around. And remember, your body is a very delicately organized real estate area. So if you've got things moving around, and they have correlated um, certain abnorm- abnormalities in a pitcher's shoulder, certain laxities that they have, they have correlated that with a certain reading on when they do, when they do measure arterial flow, etc. And so without getting into it in too medical of a way, just when the bones are moving around and there's laxity, there is stress to blood flow as well. And so I don't think this is a coincidence. I mean, I don't think this. we would say this is a coincidence or it's a congenital. I think what it is, it's another level of the body speaking or another warning that we have to start to take care of our pitcher's shoulders in the way that they do what they do. I don't know what else is going to have to happen. I mean... You know, we're getting this um, onset of all these injuries. See, to me, when I am hearing about this, and then I heard, and you informed me that this happens a lot with the Mets, what this is telling me is that things are getting more serious. We have regular injuries, and now all of a sudden a deeper level of injuries occurring. And why is that? And, and it is the way that the pitchers are doing what they do that is the main tool that we have to avoid not just the usual types of injuries, but now even the ones that are more serious. And Joe, I can't help but think 
You know, I've been doing this a long time, and I can't help but think that there is an absolute reason why this is happening. And I believe, as we were talking about last week, that pitchers during the offseason and sometimes as part of their regular regime are doing things with, uh, I don't want to mention certain things, but things that are having them fatigue their shoulders even more than what is already happening and has happened over the years. Pitchers being obsessed with increasing velocity, thinking that by using certain things they can do this or by having certain throwing programs and not understanding that some of these issues, like I said last week, some of these ideas, some of these throwing programs, some of these mechanisms, they may in fact be okay. But when you are using them, you have to recover from them. And we know baseball players are barely recovering from their outings, let alone having things they're doing in between starts that are fatiguing their arm. And what I think is happening is we're seeing an onslaught of injuries that's coming at a deeper level because we've got more crazy things going on with the pitcher's shoulder. And by the way, anytime you have compression up at the top of the shoulder and you get into anything with the neck or the shoulder, you have to look very carefully at the mechanics as to what's going on. And when you are using, let's say you're using weighted balls, or let's say you're always throwing medicine balls, the tendency to use the shoulder slightly differently the direction that it's used differently in is one that can cause weird compression and weird structures to be used around the shoulder. It's not the normal way that your shoulder would work when you're throwing a baseball. That's why we look carefully at, do we want our pitchers throwing bigger balls, heavier balls, lighter balls, throwing it further? That's why those of us who are in the camp of trying to stick to skill specificity, we get worried. We get worried over the risk that we're putting our pitchers at. And what I think we're seeing here is we're seeing a tendency of shoulders to, they're starting to break down at a deeper level than just the outer levels of muscle fatigue. I think that it's showing us that things are more serious. And that's, I can't help but think that that's what's going on because the, why is there all of a sudden this trend? Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you, you say that because I was thinking the same thing. Above and beyond the UCL injuries and then the rotator cuff things, we are starting to see that thoracic outlet syndrome pop up like seemingly out of nowhere. And I've, I've, you know, I've been wondering like, where, where did that come from? But it, yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. And toward the same end, and ironically having to do with the Mets, they're trying to manage all these injuries that they've been having because they are a franchise that has been maybe a little more decimated by injuries than some other clubs. And there was an article in ESPN that we talked about earlier this week, and I I think you checked it out too, where they're talking about how they're going to try to manage injuries and maybe prevent them. Uh, They're talking about maybe bringing in a, a director of performance science and, you know, trying to take ideas from, the NBA and the NFL and things like that. And I, and I, I know you took a look at it. And I, I'm just curious what you thought of that article and, and how you feel that major league teams might do a better job of, of managing injuries and preventing injuries with a 
something like this. Well, you know, at first take, it sounds oh, it always sounds great. Okay, finally they're going to bring someone in that maybe can help manage everything. You know, they mentioned calling a director of performance science. Um, uh, well, that sounds like really good. Um, like, oh, good, they're going to start looking at performance. But I, I'm always concerned because the, historically major leagues has not seen the forest for the trees. Um, it, just like... Um, you know, it, it, when when a doctor says get an X-ray, when he says get an MRI, when he says you have a blood test, the fourth thing on that list should be and have your mechanics looked at immediately, or let's see, get someone to look at the video from the last time, so I can know what you did, why you did it, how it happened, so we now can better decide on the protocol to fix you and what you can and can't do during your recovery and what's going to need to happen before you try to pitch again. Nobody is putting in that little detail here. There should be somebody standing right next to the pitching coach or the pitching coordinator looking at the pitcher, taking some film, and looking at it from a qualitative perspective and this is not biomechanics biomechanics is great but that person who's doing the qualitative stuff the biomechanics is combined with that but it's doing more than what the biomechanics does it's connecting let's say the biomechanical analysis says oh the elbow angles off the qualitative pieces the elbow angles off and this is why it's off and it has nothing to do with the elbow angle so that you fix the other thing and the elbow angle changes. So we know we got we have to change the elbow angle, but you have to know what movement created that problem. And then this has to be done in a language and in a seamless way. This is the person that needs to be, I mean, they're talking about it like they need a manage, a person who's managing, like, okay, this guy's going to this doctor and then he's going to go to the therapist and now we've got to have him on this strength program. No, this is all stuff that's happening after the fact. Let's talk about looking at the pictures from a perspective of who's at risk for a certain thing and what, what's, what adjustment can be made or what conversation can you have with the pitcher. You know, sometimes it's not even, let me change you. You're the pitcher. Oh, you know, you need to change. It's more like, hey, dude, are you by any chance getting extra sore in the rear of your shoulder if a person is asking if a person knows what they're doing that question they're asking they already know the answer they're going to get and pitchers don't usually lie especially if it's you know not directly you're not the head coach or whatever and they'll say yeah i am i get really sore back there let me show you why you have the opportunity not just to make that to educate the pitcher but to probably make the slight adjustment, give a recovery exercise. But what you've now done is you've said to the pitcher, now listen, this is what can happen. If this gets worse, then we need to look at this. Then you're creating an environment for change and elimination of the problem. We've got to start detecting these things because they're right in front of us. This is not something you have to do a blood test for. This is not a mystery. You know, I looked at a picture of one of the pictures you mentioned 
that's having an issue. His arm is so elevated, he's shrugging so high in his shoulder at delivery that of course he's going to be having some issues in that shoulder because the body does not do that when you accelerate. It doesn't do, it's not supposed to do that when you accelerate. And when you do that, you're stretching the joint and the muscles. So we need, I love that they're saying we need to add someone but can we stop going around, beating around the bush here? Start looking at the way these guys are doing things. And I'm not just talking, taking mathematical measurements. I'm talking about doing, actually, Joe, it's what we do out here in the Bay Area, right here. This is, these are where the pitchers come and we're looking at film fixing things before it happens, identifying how things happened, and it works out great. These guys are being saved. So I think that for the guys that are making their living doing this, this is what needs to happen. And all we need is one team to say, hey, come in, take a look at this guy. How would this go down? I mean, you don't even have to have the picture in the room. Show me some film. That's what we need to have happen. It, that's more important than all this director of performance services. No, let's call it what it is. Let's get someone out here qualitatively looking at the guys, bonding with them, talking to them, seeing what their needs are, and fixing things in a way where you'll never know anything was adjusted, but that they're doing it better. And every solid adjustment improves the picture. So that's what I'm, I'm worried about, the tendency to to try to do this big deal thing, just like, oh, let's do a big th deal thing with pitch count. Let's do a big deal thing. Well, let's sit, let's sit him on the bench for the World Series. You know, like going to extreme measures that should never happen. This should not happen to where, but what I love is the spirit. The Mets have the great spirit of we want to do something. And I'll be darn Joe if I don't love that, but everything they do, I always shake my head and go, why did they do that? Why didn't they do something that would make more sense? So that's my opinion of it. So bravo for knowing something needs to get done. But can we just keep it simple? This is not a big deal um, suggestion here. This is like what has to happen. And it's already happening successfully in my world right here. So let's expand that. And any coach listening to this, think about this. And you know what? If you don't believe it, get somebody who, you know, can do this and see how it goes. Because uh, what my job is, is to enhance the coach's coaching. I am the assistant to the coach. You know, I, I give the coach back the pitcher being better. That's what this person needs to do. Needs to eliminate the problems and the need for having a director of performance sciences. Let's get someone who's looking at these guys on the level at which they're getting injured. And this thing with all this stuff that's happening with the Mets, this is their, that's a great place to start. They're scared right now. But they, that's because they haven't hit the, they haven't hit the right thing yet. But this is what I, I believe they need to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like the uh, the Mets and a lot of other teams too. They their their intention is in the right place. Their heart's in the right place. But you know, you, you, I think maybe that, like you said, they're trying to be a little bit too big. I remember a couple of years ago they they hired a, a strength and conditioning coach who is really well known. I'm not going to mention his name. He's really well known, but he's really well known for more for football players. 
and it was the right, you know, they, they were, they had the heart in the right place. So like, okay, we want to bring in, you know, the best of the best. And maybe this is an out of the box idea and the snap, but in all of the things that all of these major league teams are doing, you know, they're, they're talking about uh, making sure they get the very best medical treatment. They're getting the very best fitness from the very best uh, strength and conditioning coaches who do a great job. They're, they're looking into the science of sleep and making sure that their players are rested enough. They're looking into the nutrition. They're bringing in nutritionists. They're bringing in psychologists and they're like, they're hitting all of this stuff. And yet there's still that big gaping hole where no one is looking at how the pitcher is doing what he's doing. Like it's, it's that one big hole. And I, I don't know what it is. I it's, you know, how you do something and, and whether or not you do it efficiently is so important to not just being healthy, but also toward performance. And I, that's the one thing where the major league teams are completely, totally missing. And I, and I, I don't understand why. I don't know if it's because they, they feel like they already know what pitching mechanics are supposed to look like, but I, I don't think that they do believe that because every pitcher seems to have different mechanics. It's, it's something that's really frustrating for me. And it's one of the reasons why, why we do this show every two weeks is because there's that big hole missing yeah. where how you do it. And and I don't I don't know what's what the answer is, but at least they're still they're continuing to look at what they're doing and continuing to evaluate. You know, like it's like they're poking in a in a in a dark room, and you know maybe eventually they'll they'll get the tail they'll hit the tail on the donkey and say, oh wow, maybe we should bring in a kinesiologist or a sports scientist or somebody who knows how the body moves to analyze how the players are moving and and correct them if need be. Well, you know, Joe, what I think is, and I want all the coaches to to hear this, I think that when there's something so obvious that you're missing or not doing, and you know that if I can think it, they're thinking it too, but whenever somebody's not doing something and it's on sort of a global level, it's because they're probably afraid for one reason or another. And here's the deal. These guys are, you know, doing it professionally for a reason. They're good at what they do. And historically, because there haven't been a lot of people who know how to understand movement and make changes, they've looked within baseball to have baseball people try to make changes. And sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't. And now, even even the, these coaches are afraid to make a change with their pitchers because they kind of are becoming aware that there's more to this than meets the eye. So because they've had a history of not having success with making changes, and also they don't want someone coming in and changing the guy that's their big gun, they don't have knowledge and they think it's something different than what it actually is. And But what's interesting to me, so yes, I can see a coach saying, we don't want someone coming in and adjusting our aces mechanics and having them look completely different and then running the risk that all of a sudden he, he's going to lose his movement on his fastball or you know his curveball is not going to break because they changed his arm or this or that. I think that's funny to me because the change isn't a correct change if you take away the thing that makes the pitcher good. You're supposed to be good enough to know how to make the change without changing the outcome of this guy's talent. But what's interesting to me is you should be more worried about the change in the mechanics that takes place when a kid picks up a light ball, spins around six times, and throws it as hard as he can, or he goes out 300 
400 feet and throws the uh, throws a ball where his mechanics have to completely change to get it that far that to me is where the the thinking should be like wait a minute why should we be so afraid of someone coming in who's working within the framework of the pitching motion and working with the pitcher you see this is work with the pitcher and the motion not as pitching the pitching is the product so you've got to work from the pitcher who produces the pitching and make sure that that pitching stays in place but that he gets to that place in a better way for his body and trust me if a pitcher's lifting his arm up his shoulder up let's say he's shrugging through his acceleration and you teach him hey look on the film you're shrugging oh and this is how you put it down oh okay he throws the ball it's like the ball is it comes out better and the pitcher goes wow that's so much easier on my neck and that's how it goes so I think there's this fear of knowledge but listen think about what you are exposing and letting the guys do this is like the healthy alternative this is like a healthy alternative and so I think that again like I mentioned last week coaches be try to look in the camp of am I a guy who doesn't care how the pitcher gets it done or am I a guy who cares how he gets it done it's not what you do it's how you do it and I think we're starting to see that with this you know presence of all these serious injuries that are going on a deeper level when you're obstructing blood flow you've had to really change the architecture inside that arm to have that system be affected and that's what's going on so um, you know this has got to be a have no fear kind of approach and again try it try it bring someone in and see if it can make a difference and I'm gonna not ever stop suggesting that this uh, be the direction that they go and for the pitchers listening pitchers maybe the coach is never going to change his mind you know maybe the coach believes what he believes but guys start taking care of yourself act as independent contractors you should never as an athlete nobody out there listening to this podcast I don't care what job you have we have to as adults take care of ourselves. so if your boss doesn't think you need more uh, help with something but you think you do go out and get the help you need because in the end you're the one that is responsible for what happens to you so I think there's a number of ways that this can improve and it's not just the coaches or the major leagues it's the pitcher starting to think a little more realistically as well yeah that's a good point I mean it, it, at the end of the day it's the pitcher who's going to be on the mound or not on the mound or on the surgeon's table so uh, you know he he should be taking responsibility for his own his own body, his own actions, and and how he's throwing the baseball. We're going to uh, jump off the soapbox now and get back to uh, injuries. Dallas Keuchel won the Cy Young Award two years ago. We talked about him last year when he had some issues with his velocity. This year, he's pitching really well again. I mean, he's back into Cy Young form, but over the last week or so, he's been experiencing a pinched nerve in his neck, so they shut him down. I'm not sure when he's coming back. He might be back uh, within the next week or so. But I just wanted to ask you, is a pinched nerve, I mean, it's such a random thing. Like you could get it sleeping, you could get it sitting in, a, in the car or, or in the plane the wrong way. Is a pinched nerve in the neck, is that a big deal for a pitcher? It's a, actually a huge deal because when you have the neck, uh, which are your cer- cervical vertebrae, um, the nerves that feed the shoulder and the elbow and the fingers 
the wrist, the ulnar nerve, all these nerves come out of the neck and they and many of them come out in what's called the brachial plexus. And anytime you have problems in your neck and you're having problems with nerve, the nerve is being compressed. And by the way, it's being compressed by a muscle. The nerves come in, a, you know, it's real estate. The bones line up, the nerves come out of the side and then they lay perfectly down and then the muscles are over them. I mean, everything is perfect. When you have a neck bone, let's say you've dislocated your neck or you have pressure on a nerve to where your fingers are falling asleep or where you're getting that numbness above your elbow and the ulnar nerve area, when you have any symptoms involving the nerve, your muscles had to do something. They did something to pull too hard in the wrong way and they obstructed the whole you know real estate of that part of your body and then a bone moves and the bone can put compression on the nerve the muscle can put compression on the nerve so for a pitcher even though we're using the word neck the neck is a big big deal in pitching because all the nerves that feed the gun come from the neck so yes this is something again you want to look at to see if in fact there's something that he's doing on a muscular level and yes can it be that he slept funny absolutely uh, we all know when we wake up in the morning and boy it's the most miserable day of your life when your neck is kinked all day and because the muscles on the neck they run sideways down into the shoulder they run down the back they run in all different angular directions that's why we can turn our head those muscles have different roles so you can hurt your neck and you'll turn to the right and it'll hurt you'll turn to the left it'll hurt you you tilt a certain way it hurts there probably is only one place you'll be looking for it to find where can I put my head where it doesn't hurt so it is a very complicated thing and it's uh, I'm really glad you brought it up because I I'd love to use the neck as a teaching moment because I have again gathered some incredible awareness by uh, connecting some dots about head position and so Joe if it's okay with you I'd love to go into the teaching moment and continue this discussion of the neck and give the coaches something to go out today if you're still pitching right now if you're still in season to go out and take a look at your pictures you know again you can stand behind the plate or behind the rubber and I'm going to teach you a few things and because I, I made a fantastic connection um, and you know and this is the thing when we were talking and we were talking previously about getting someone on the teams that can help you know, one of my concerns with the Mets was like they were going to bring in like, a, oh, this sounds so good, this title, and let's make sure it's a medical person, a physical therapist, an athletic trainer. No, it needs to be somebody who does the kind of work that I do where you're on the field every day looking at pitchers. So I've been specializing in pitching for 22 years, looking at mechanics every day. That's all I do. And teach teach the pitcher, communicate with the pitcher. And I've been 37 years as a strength coach, analyzing joint movements, etc. So this week, I make a connection that I never made before. So this is the importance of embedding yourself in the work. And that's the person who has the expertise to take care of the pitchers and make sure that they don't ruin what they've got that's good. But there's, so this thing about the neck that I just said is all true. The structures in the neck are very critical. 
But the main thing is the neck position that can create problems for the shoulder and the elbow. So I was noticing, so here's how I come to learn things. I all of a sudden realize that every pitcher I've worked with in the last X number of months who has this kind of symptom has the same flaw that I'm working with. And that's how I make connections. And the connection I made this week was about the head position of the pitcher when he's accelerating the ball. So as all pitchers know, or and all coaches know, when a pitcher throws what's called overarm deliveries, not a sidearm, He's delivering at, you know, anywhere from 12 to 2, 2 o'clock, 2.30, if a clock's in front of him, if he's a righty. Um, the head position of a pitcher is either straight on towards the target or as the trunk tilts to the left. I'm going to talk about a right-handed pitcher. As the trunk tilts to the left, the head moves over to the left. But what you don't want to see in a right-handed pitcher is the right ear tilting downward towards the shoulder. That is actually the way a sidearm pitcher moves his head, and it's also the way his body usually goes. So if a sidearm pitcher is reaching out to the side, let's say he's at 3 o'clock, and he, he's leaning in that direction, his head tilts to that direction, that is actually the characteristics of a sidearm. But if you have a guy that's an overarm thrower, and his arm is up at 1 o'clock, let's say, and he is um, releasing the ball, and you see his head start to tilt towards his pitching arm, that is one of the characteristics that I have seen in pitchers that have shoulder and elbow problems. They, not all of them, of course, but I noticed it so much and so frequently that I started to realize that this is something the pitchers have started to do probably to alter something that when they started hurting they found that if they did a certain thing with their shoulder it made it hurt less the reason the problem for tilting the head sideways towards the pitching arm can be so problematic is because what it's actually doing is tightening up the ability of the shoulder, whole shoulder joint to move easily through acceleration. So what you end up having is a tight shoulder because your head's tilted that way. So that in acceleration, you're either going to lift up because your shoulder can't move real well, or you're going to actually aggravate the shoulder structure trying to throw like that. So the way that I know that this is a connection that makes sense is that in correcting it, you cannot believe the look on the pitcher's face when he tilts his head the other way or brings it over, and you can't believe that the way it looks on film, and then they say, wow, that really freed up my entire arm. So believe it or not, we all know the shoulder joint needs to move freely to accelerate the ball, it's where you get your velocity from, and that freedom of movement is what we want as the ball is accelerated. If you tilt your head downwards, your ear comes to the shoulder of that pitching arm. Your, the neck muscles and the trapezius muscles, which go and insert from the neck into the top of the shoulder, 
are then being contracted so when you try to move the shoulder joint you don't get the same freedom it changes everything and then you have a pitcher that's either going to alter the way he accelerates to get the freedom he needs or he's going to still try to throw hard and injure the tissues so coaches you all know how we want to see a head go over towards the front leg get behind and see if you've got any guys especially the ones and the ones that really do it are post-surgery elbow guys so anybody with elbow injuries that have had a history elbow pain i mean these are the pictures that i want you to watch for carefully for mechanical things that they've done that they may have done when they were in pain before surgery and then they just kept on doing it and so I want you to take a look at your pictures that have any problem and see if you see the head tilting and listen this is a simple thing to see you don't have to have a camera and they usually start tilting towards their pitching arm just as they start to rotate to square up. So after the front foot's landed and they start to rotate, you'll see their head tilt towards their pitching arm. And you maybe right now can picture some of your guys. And when you see a pitcher doing it, you may not know what you're looking at, but my guess is it may solve the problem of when you look at a certain guy and you go, what is it that I don't like about the way that looks? It, it looks very odd, but you don't always catch it because you're not really thinking about it because nobody talks about the neck position. But the neck is flexed, laterally flexed towards the pitching arm. That's the technical term. The ear is down towards the shoulder. And if you don't believe me, try to throw a ball with your head tilted towards your throwing arm and you'll see just how funny it feels. And it alters the glove arm. It alters rotation. It alters everything. So I want every coach to go out there and take a look at their pitchers and make sure that they don't have an uh, a neck position that is, uh, you know, incorrect. Wow. Thanks, Angel. No, when you're talking about the tilt, is it, is it going to be uh, fairly obvious? Is it going to be like a few inches or could it be just a slight tilt could be a problem? It's going to be the heads towards the arm. In fact, in fact, what it does is, it, you know how when you, um, Let's let's all picture a pitcher. Uh, you're standing behind the catcher. You know how when you see a pitcher go over his, let's say his left leg because he's a righty. You know how you see the head. They'll say the head should be over the leg or just to the left of it. Sure. And you're picturing that, right? Yes. Well, what you will see on the guy whose head is towards the right, and it can be a little, is that you will not see his head over his left leg. You'll see his whole body either being completely upright, and this is not a sidearm. A sidearm is going to tilt that way, but so is his back. He's going he's gonna to bend his waist towards his arm and his head. This is the guy who isn't sidearm but he's tilting his head and so you will see that something looks off and he's moving his head towards the pitching arm and so it can be slight but it is uh, well let's put it this way it can't go too far because we don't have that much range of motion and right. I'm looking in a mirror right now and I would say it's about a one to two inch thing and what I want everyone to do just to cement this is when you're done with the podcast look in the mirror Keep your eyes straight ahead. Just stand there. You don't have to do anything with your arms. Just look. And then tilt your right ear 
down towards your right shoulder and that's what you'll see and it is very easy to see and then put up your pitching arm like you're going to pitch and you're going to automatically feel wow that's tight on the top so what happens is the trapezius is getting tight and that's what causes that lifting through acceleration which I forget which show we did it was this season that's one of the worst errors you see in a pitcher coming off of surgery they lift through acceleration and as I just got done saying one of the pitchers whose photo I looked at who had one of these unusual diagnoses um, he was lifting through acceleration and I of course from the angle couldn't see as his head tilt off but you don't want the trap getting tight so guys coaches this is so simple to catch and your pitcher will love you and uh, you know and I know once you look for this you'll know because as I always tell you coaches you know where the head's supposed to be you know where the body's supposed to be you can tell when something's off but you might miss it if you're not looking for it now, if if a if a pitching coach does see this in one of his pitchers, what's a, what's a good thing to say to the pitcher to uh, start the correction? I know there's a lot of different things you can say depending on the the pitcher or whatever, but what what's a good thing to say to to create that positive movement? The easiest thing to say is first to tell him, show him on the film, or just show him, have him just stand there and put his head down, and that's going to feel familiar to him, and say, I want your head the other way. And what will happen is, you know, say bring your left ear down towards your uh, left shoulder. And what will happen is it will prevent or give him an instruction not to let his neck flex. He's not going to have his head tilted in a weird way. It'll actually just correct it. But it's very hard to give people ways to teach things because teaching and all you coaches who speak to me, you know, I believe this. You all have your special way that you teach. If you understand the concept, it's why I teach concepts. If you understand the concept of what has to happen, dig inside your own talent to come up with how would I get somebody to change this? Because the teaching has to come from such a deep place of understanding inside of you that you're not only going to be able to maybe give them an instruction, but then you're going to do the most important thing did that instruction work and guess what if it didn't say it a different way that's why I believe in teaching you concepts so once you understand you could stand there and go okay and then you might come up with 10 different ways to say it if the pitcher's not getting it go to another way don't stick with the way that he's not getting it and make sure that the pitcher understands but you know pitchers are pretty good and I did have one pitcher who it was impossible to change this and he continued to have elbow and shoulder problems um, but sometimes we run into pitchers who have a stubbornness about them. So uh, with that being said, uh, you coaches already know who they are. But when you get, deal with a pitcher who is open to the adjustment, he's going to love it because it's going to feel better. And you know what? Even if you have them stand just 15 feet from the catcher and they're both standing up and have them just face the target and have him put his arm back into max external rotation, and then have him put his left hand on his head and pull it to the left and then tell him not to move his head and then just throw the ball. So he's just going through acceleration with his head tilted the other way, meaning it's not contracted, meaning he's got space between his right ear and his arm. He's going to love it. He's going to say, oh boy, and then he's going to know he's doing it and then let him start to work with that. 
I have a million ways I do it, but it it really right. be hard uh, voice wise. Of course, any coach that has it sees this, you can always contact me because I can walk you through and and you know ideas about how to do it. But um, yeah, it's this is a very cool connection I made, and I am very excited about it. I'm pretty excited too. And just just so that we're a hundred percent clear, you don't necessarily want the pitcher to always be tilting his head in the opposite direction do we we generally want him to be more straight no well the the head follows the trunk but there is a slight tilt to the left but not it's actually the head is on top of the trunk the trunk is bending at the waist about 15 degrees a right-handed pitcher is bending at the waist if he's also tilting his head he's going to pull over too far but the head will look like it's tilted because the trunk is tilted you have to understand where the tilt comes from this is an actual neck tilt this is the head tilting sideways this is the head bringing the ear down to the right shoulder the way that you just you know if you look at something crooked you know you'll just turn your head the pitcher does not do that with his neck even in the other direction that's his waistline that does that and the head goes with it to get that yeah in normal mechanics there's a trunk tilt not a head tilt got it okay, okay. thank you for clarifying okay because it's, you know, we're, we only have audio here and sometimes, you know, things can get a little confusing if you don't actually see what you're, you're yeah. trying to describe. Thank you, Angel. Exactly. That takes us out of the teaching moment and brings us into our getting it done with science section of the show. And we've been getting a lot of emails and phone calls from coaches because the, the high school and college seasons are coming to an end. As, a, as I mentioned, we're at the, uh, the end of May and... Soon we'll have uh, summer ball starting up, but in between, you know, for a lot of pitchers and a lot of teams, there's a there's a little bit of a open space in between. So we've been getting some emails asking, what should the pitchers be doing? Should should you shut them down? Uh, give them a rest? Uh, is there something else they should be doing? Should they be hitting the weights? You know, what is it that you recommend that pitchers do once their school season ends and they're getting ready for the summer season, but it hasn't yet started up? What are you doing that in between time? Well, you know, I get the calls that I've been getting are from, first of all, pitchers, coaches, and fathers asking that question, you know, and, and the thing is, there's not one generic answer for this, and uh, the reason is, is that everything a pitcher does, see, he, in the season, he's got to play baseball, right? Right. But in the summer season, in the fall, they have sometimes have choices, and the choices are such that they don't necessarily have to go along with things that coaches can provide or teams that have called them. So the decisions have to always be made based on the needs of the pitcher, based on his health profile, based on how many innings he's had. For example, I had somebody call me yesterday. The father's all excited because following most of the things that he's learned from me over the last six years, we're going to give my son an off-season this summer. Well, because of circumstances, the pitcher in high school only pitched 12 innings. So I said, no, 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 because he already had, is rusty. And these are people that spend a lot of money in the off-season to get their pitcher great. But because of things on the team, this kid never got his feet wet. So now that he's in season, 
he's been in season. He needs to continue his summer season so that he can hone his skill. Because if he waits until the fall or November, like some of the other pitchers will do when they pick up a ball after being off in the fall, he's going to have literally nine or ten months where he hasn't pitched. Because when you think of a high school season in 12 innings, that's, I mean, that's not very many. That's one inning, two innings a month or something. So, so um, for this pitcher, and they were shocked when I said this, and they were calling for a training program. And I said, no, you got to find a travel team. So for the pitcher who didn't pitch at all, he's got to get innings. Pitchers need to pitch. Hopefully you do it in a cycle where it makes sense for you and then you also plan your off-season because pitchers also need an off-season not to just rest their arm but to rebuild their arm. They Not an off-season to sit around on the couch, an off-season from pitching, but you're never in off-season from being a pitcher. So a pitcher, a pitcher has year-round responsibilities. So if your responsibilities as a pitcher, which is to get innings, didn't occur, you don't take time off and then start to fill that. No, because see, you've got you've at least been on a team and you're warmed up. You just haven't had enough, and now you continue. So that would be one scenario. The other scenario is a pitcher who's had a great season, and maybe he's coming off an injury and he's shocked that he had a great season. He's excited. Last year he had surgery. He returned to play. He saw consistent innings, consistent performance, and then he's asking himself, what should he do? Well, it's a good question to ask yourself because if you had a surgery and if you did a throwing program and then integrated and returned to play just in time for the season and you had a great season, that's the time that you take time off and layer another set of months for healing another layer of healing on top of the surgery listen guys just because a doctor puts you on the dl for x number of months and then you're off for maybe this much time trust me you are still pitching with uh, with healing that is not fully taken place when you have something in your body it takes years to really layer the healing so if you had a great season and you got in your innings and you met and you talked to your coach and your coach says you know what you did a great job don't look a gift horse in the mouth take the summer and rebuild the arm and then return to play in the fall or, you know, the winner, whatever's going to happen. But you, if you segment your performance and then stack it with some strength, you're going to ensure that that surgery is going to hold. Remember, people have second and third surgeries. And if you're somebody who had trouble during the season, you returned to play, but you never were quite right, it's perfect time to shut down and put another layer of strength on top of that and get yourself better and then pick up a ball in the fall. So be more aggressive at the end of the year than you would be right now. And then for the guys who are, uh, of course, being sent to different places, the college guys going out to Cape Cod and they're wanting to play summer ball because they need to be seen. Out here, everyone plays summer ball um, unless you have an injury or something and then you just, you know, waited for the team year to be over. Then what you're doing right now is you pull out calendars right now 
because you already know you're playing summer ball. And I agree, summer ball is really important as long as everything is fitting into a cycle. So pull out a calendar that goes from May until, Jan until January, February, and here's what you need to know. When does my season start in 2018? When does responsibility to my team begin? Because you might have a team that says, okay, you show up December 1st and we do two months of pitching and everything. Okay, so I got to be ready to show some good stuff to my coach December 1st. Okay, so then I need 10, 12 weeks to pick up a ball and start pitching because I don't want to go there and be rusty and depend on my coach to get my arm in shape. So, okay, well, that means... Uh, you know, November 1, I'll be picking up a ball, or November 15th, and then my summer ball ends here. Okay, perfect. And then you've got a calendar that says, wow, I'm going to be actually off in September and October. Cool. And that way, if you have that plan, your summer ball is going to go great. You've got a plan. And then guess what? The coach that says, hey, I'm putting together a team, and I want you to be on it in September and October. You say, no, sorry. i got to get in shape for two weeks or eight, two months, three months, and then I've got responsibilities to my team. And that's how you do it. So you're either taking the summer off of throwing or you're sitting down with the calendar and planning out your cycles. But make sure you are honoring the start days that your coaches put down for you. And you're honoring the fact that you need to have some rest at the end of summer ball. And that's the way you make your decisions. And that's a general outline and a way to think about it. And what I loved most, Joe, was getting these calls. Yeah. Is it not absolutely fantastic that people are actually thinking about this right now? Yeah, I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, planning is, is, a, is a great idea. I mean, it used to be that nobody thought about it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it used to be like, all right, season's over. Now what? Exactly. And anybody out there that's listening to this, everyone's got unique situations. They've got, well, oh, and, you know, you, well, I've, I'm going to have to do a showcase at this time or whatever. This is why we hate showcases that are at, at times when people should be off. But, well, I'm going to have to do this showcase here. So then, well, then you can't take time off because you have to be ready for the showcase. So you have to juxtaposition things. And believe me, uh, it sometimes it takes hours of sitting, looking at calendars, figuring this out. But anybody out there that has an unusual situation or any coach that's listening to this and saying, I think I get it, but I'm not sure about how to work this in, feel free to contact me. I am more than happy to help any coach with any job he has to do that involves saving pitchers' arms, which I know we all agree is what our actual journey is. So, uh, yeah, don't hesitate to call me for clarification if you need some. That's great, Angel. Well, I think that wraps it up for season four, episode five. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Angel for sharing her knowledge. To learn more about Angel, you can go to her website, gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit fixingpitchers.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at fixingpitchers. Please contact us with your questions or comments, anything you, you have that you might want to have us address on the show. Uh, you can reach Angel at angel at gymscience.com. You can reach me at joe at fixing pictures. Maybe we'll have your question on the show. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Now you can download our app, as we mentioned earlier in the show. 
show. We have the app on iPhone, iPad, all Android devices. Just go to your apps and search for Baseball Pitching the Fix. If you really enjoyed the show, I encourage you to please share it with other pitchers, coaches, and parents of pitchers, and spread the word. We're just trying to help the pitchers here. We'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, I want to wish everyone safe and effective performance on the pitching night.